0: Morning. Morning. The first lesson is taken from chapters 1 and 2 of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities says the teacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I, the teacher, when king over Israel and Jerusalem, applied my mind to seek out, seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given human beings to be busy with. I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun and I see all is vanity and a chasing after wind. I hated all my toil in which I had toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to those who come after me. And who knows whether they will be wise or foolish, yet they will be masters of all that I have toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. So I turned and gave my heart up to despair concerning all the toils of my labor under the sun because sometimes one who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave all to be enjoyed by another who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. What do mortals get from all the toil and strain with which they toil under the sun? For all their days are full of pain, and their work is a vexation. Even at night their minds do not rest. This is also vanity." The Psalm is taken from Psalm forty-nine. We'll read responsibly. Hear this, all you peoples, give ear, all you have all who you who dwell in the world. My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and my heart shall meditate on understanding. Why should I be afraid in evil days, when the wickedness of those at my heels surrounds me? One can never redeem another, or give to God the ransoms for another's life. In order to live forever, and ever, and never see the grave. For we see that the die also, like the who and, perish, and leave their wealth those who them. Their graves shall be their homes forever, the dwelling places from generation to generation, though they had named lands after themselves. The second reading is taken from Colossians, chapter 3. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with him in glory. Put to debt, therefore, whatever whatever in you is earthly, fortification, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which is adultery. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have, been stri- you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Here ends the reading.
1: If you are able, please rise for the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 12th chapter. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods." And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. The gospel of the Lord. To you, Lord Congregation may be seated. I'd like to invite the children down for a moment. <laughs> well, good morning, boys and girls. How are you? How are you, Carly? Good. Good to see you. Well, I wanted to tell you um, something I have seen from experience, and maybe, maybe you're aware of this, but does anyone here know how to catch a monkey? Anyone here know how to catch a monkey? You've never done that? No. Okay. You sound like it's a silly question. <laughs> no? Well, in some parts of the world, they have you know, monkeys in South America, monkeys in Africa, monkeys all over. And one way that people used to catch them is to take a gourd. You know what a gourd is, right? Like this, we see them like around in the fall. And they cut a hole in the gourd. It's very small. And inside the gourd, they either put some rice or they put a banana. And then they tie the gourd to like a tree or something so the gourd can't be carried off. And guess what the monkeys do? They come and they put their hand inside the gourd to grab the bait, whether it's a banana or rice or whatever it is, but guess what? Once they grab it, they can't pull their hand out. And so the monkeys end up getting caught this way because they're too greedy to let go of the thing they have in their hand, right? So I think this morning's story um, in which this man came to Jesus telling him, hey, I'm not getting a fair share of all my stuff. And Jesus said, be careful. Be careful, brother, because in life, sometimes our possessions and the things that we own end up making us look like monkeys because we act so greedy to hang on to them. Right, Nathan? (laughs) All right. So the moral of the story is, be careful. Um, our, Our possessions, the things that we own, and even money is not necessarily bad, but sometimes it, uh, it can lead us in the wrong way and make us put our heart where our heart shouldn't be. So let's, let's say a quick prayer together. Dear God, I thank you for these wonderful children, um, for their faithfulness and devotion, and I ask, Lord, that you will help all of us, uh, children and adults, to not be turned into monkeys uh, by our greed for for money and for material things. Help us above all else to trust in you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thanks boys and girls. You can go back to your seats. <laughs> Grace and peace to you in the name the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The other day, uh, my son Nathan asked me if I would buy him a new bicycle. And I said, son, I could buy you a new bicycle, but then you wouldn't appreciate it. Because if you really want something in life, you have to work for it. And then I told them to be quiet and turn up the TV because they were just about to announce the winning lottery numbers. (laughs) Of course, I didn't win that night, but it reminded me of something that happened a few years ago. This was before we moved to Liverpool. I don't usually play the lottery, but the Powerball jackpot was, was huge, somewhere around $70 million. So I went to the gas station and I bought a ticket. When I went home, I noticed a big stack of mail on my desk, and one of the letters was from St. Jude's Hospital asking for donations. Being the charitable person that I am, I started praying to St. Jude. And I said, St. Jude, if you help me to win the jackpot, I promise to donate $10 million to the hospital. So I prayed fervently all night long for this to happen. I didn't win. But a few days later, I picked up the newspaper and on the front page, there was a picture of the guy next door to me holding up a check for $70 million, I couldn't believe it. The caption beneath his picture had a quote. It said, I overheard my neighbor praying to St. Jude and offering 10 million, so I bought a ticket and prayed offering 10 million and one dollars. <laughs> <laughs> All jokes aside, most people assume that a sudden, dramatic increase of money or property would make life better. We tell ourselves that we had, if we had a little more money, uh, just a little bit more, then all of our problems would be gone. Everything would be fine. Life would be a cakewalk if only we had a little bit more. But that's one of the strange things about money, even when you have a lot of it if you're lucky to have that, it never seems to be enough. This has been proven by a number of studies and reports based on interviews with affluent people all around the world. They all say the same thing, I would feel better, I would feel more secure if I had just a little bit more. A few years ago, I was listening to a public radio program called Hidden Brain, which is all about the unconscious patterns the things we don't even think about that influence human behavior. And the episode was called Why No One Feels Rich, The Psychology of Inequality. And it began by asking listeners to imagine that they made $500,000 a year, right? Half a million bucks. So I'll ask you to do the same. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm assuming that no one here makes $500,000 a year. (laughs) But imagine you do. Imagine you make $500,000 a year. That puts you in the top 1% of all Americans and far ahead of almost everyone else in the world. But what if that $500,000 salary comes from being a professional baseball player for the Los Angeles Angels? When you look over your shoulder in the locker room, you see this other guy, Mike Trout. He's your buddy, he's your teammate, he's a great guy. But Mike just finalized a deal to stay with the Angels for another 12 years and to earn $430 million over that time. This is what happened in 2019. $430 million over 12 years or $36 million a year. Now, How do you feel about your $500,000 paycheck? (laughs) Do you still feel like you're in the top 1%? Or does it seem kind of measly? Talking about money is awkward, especially now during these difficult economic times. With inflation at a 40-year high, record gas prices and continuing supply chain issues, even people who feel like they were doing okay over the past few years are now feeling the pinch. A few weeks ago, someone said to me, it feels like everything at the grocery store is getting smaller. And I sort of laughed it off, you know, thinking, yeah, yeah. And we all all feel that way. But just a few days ago, I saw a piece on the PBS news about shrinkflation. It turns out that this person was correct. Companies have been reducing the size of all kinds of household goods From breakfast cereal to toilet paper to coffee and soft drinks, it's nearly impossible to tell the difference with the naked eye, but that box of cereal in your pantry is probably about 17% smaller than the one from a year or two ago, and the price is the same. That's why you didn't notice the difference. Producers shrunk the products so consumers wouldn't notice that they're actually paying more for less. Today... We are all feeling the pinch, but for the poor of our communities, things went from bad to worse. Money is difficult to talk about. If we are the fortunate ones who have more than we need, it still feels like not enough. And if we don't have enough, then it's sort of like one of my mentors used to say, money can't buy you happiness, but poverty sure can make you miserable. Jesus loved to talk about money. In the broader sense, he liked to talk about money, possessions, and the influence they can have on our lives. From his well-known, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be, all the way to no one can serve two masters, you cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus talked about possessions and money frequently, usually to warn people about the negative influence can have on our lives be careful watch out he says where you might spend so much time wondering about money that you miss out on the things that really matter and all those things you own be on guard so that they don't end up owning you the passage we heard today from luke's gospel tells us about a time when a man came up to jesus and said teacher tell my brother to share the inheritance with me If you look at the context, the whole chapter of Luke, uh, chapter 12, the man practically interrupts Jesus right in the middle of his teaching. I want more than what I got, Jesus. It's not fair. Tell my brother to give me more from his share. And what does Jesus say? Care for what you wish for. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. And he tells us a parable about a rich man whose land produced abundantly. Please note that the man was already rich when he had a bumper crop. It's right there in verse 16. This is not a story about a poor man who finally struck it rich. It's about a rich man who already had more than enough. His land was so abundant that he had nowhere to store his grain. His barns were already filled to the brim. Imagine if you had a two-car garage complete with two vehicles inside, both of which are paid for, and in good condition. You're a single person, so you don't really need to have two cars, but it's convenient to have them. Then someone tells you, congratulations, you just won a new car. What would you do? Would you tear down your two-car garage and build a bigger one? Would you build a separate single-car garage on the other side of the house? You're only one person. How many vehicles do you really need? That's exactly what the man in the parable did. I will build bigger barns to store my crops, he says to himself. Then, finally, I will be content and happy. This is just a parable, of course, but you have to wonder was he planning on building a fence to make sure that no animals came near the new barns? Was he planning on hiring a night watchman to make sure that no thieves could get into the barns at night? Was he planning to wait for the price of food to peak so that he could sell his crops at top dollar and maximize his profits? I know where he could have stored that grain free of charge. All around him were places to store that grain, and he didn't have to spend a penny on new barns or fences or security guards. He could have stored that bumper crop in the stomachs of his hungry neighbors. He could have stored it free of charge in the empty barns of the farmers who were down on their luck. The man in this parable was rich in money. He was loaded with possessions, but he was poor in generosity, and he was downright destitute in compassion and mercy. Aesop told a fable about a dog who fell asleep on a manger full of hay. Maybe you remember this from Aesop's fables. The dog was awakened when the cattle came into the barn, tired from their long day of working in the field. But the dog would not let them get near the manger and snarled and snapped as if it were filled with the best of meat and bones all for himself. The cattle looked at the dog in disgust. How selfish he is, said one. He has no use for the hay and yet he will not let us eat it who are so hungry for it. Take care, Jesus says. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Times change, but it seems the more they change, the more they stay the same. From the time of Adam and Eve, excuse me, to the time of Jesus, to today, we need to be on guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in the abundance of money or possessions. People have always wanted to get rich overnight by having a bumper crop or winning the lottery or signing a $430 million contract to play baseball. No matter which way we hope it happens, It never feels like enough. It's true, certainly, that we face challenges today, like shrinking cereal boxes and gas that costs nearly six bucks a gallon. But those who came before us faced tough times too, and they made it through. So how should we act in the meantime? Sometimes we act like the dog in the manger refusing to share with others even if we have no real need for the things we store. We want to eat, drink, and be merry, so we build bigger barns to hold to our stuff when there are plenty of places all around to store it for free of charge. It's natural to worry about whether or not we have enough. But Jesus wants us to trust that God will provide for all of our needs because we are his beloved children. We often act like the dog in the manger. But Jesus, the lamb in the manger, who poured out every part of his being on the cross, wants us to rest assured that his abundant grace will meet all of our needs. Over the years, I've noticed that generosity is liberating It feels good to let go of the things that stake a claim on our lives. And while I was reflecting on this, it reminded me of a little poem I heard when I was in elementary school. It's called Smart by Shel Silverstein and I'd like to share it with you now. My dad gave me a $1 bill because I'm his smartest son. And I swapped it for two shiny quarters because two is more than one. And then I took the quarters and traded them to Lou for three dimes. I guess he didn't know that three is more than two. Just then along came old blind Bates, and just because he can't see, he gave me four nickels for my three dimes, and four is more than three. Then I took the nickels to Hiram Coombs down at the seed feed store, and the fool gave me five pennies for them, and five is more than four. And then I went and showed my dad, and he got red in the cheeks and closed his eyes and shook his head, too proud of me to speak. (laughs) May God help each one of us to be so smart with our money. And may the peace of God that passes all understanding guard your hearts, minds, and spirits in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.